Blog Talk Radio. Give me the Placid Dawn with plenty of tailing fish and the perfect fly rod and get ready for some magic. Well then, that was interesting. Welcome to Kayak Fishing Radio. I'm your host, Charles Levi, also known as Redfish Chuck. I shall hopefully be joined by my illustrious co-host Captain Alex Gritchie here shortly. I know he went looking for lobsters today as it is mini season here in Florida. Um, hopefully he did pretty well and uh, we'll get to hear about it. Now other than that, we should be also possibly joined by our good friend James Page from Atlanta, possibly at some point. But in the meantime, um, hey, welcome to uh, another edition of Kayak Fishing Radio. We're going to have some uh, some news to, to break probably next episode uh, as to a direction in which we're going to take the show. Um, hopefully you guys will appreciate it and like it and follow us along and continue to be loyal listeners as you have for so many years. Um, I have a, uh, have a trip coming up going to Louisiana. It's going to be a fast turnaround trip, leaving on a Saturday, coming back on a Sunday, two days fishing, um, going down to the marsh, looking for some big old redfish and some black drum or whatever else wants to play, maybe some jacks. Super excited about that, and I'm getting ready, actually, to um, start whipping up a few extra flies to take with me that are not of the same color scheme in which I'm used to uh, throwing at our fish here, but... Um, Anything, from what I'm told, anything purple and chartreuse or purple and black or chartreuse or whatever, <clears throat> black and chartreuse will work. So I'm uh, basically the same kind of patterns that I've tied for all of our fish here, uh, quans and different kinds of crabs and other shrimp type patterns and things like that. And I have a few bait fish, bait fish style patterns with me as well. And I'm looking to do possibly a few... Um, possibly a few gurglers as well. 
to try and entice a topwater bite. And pop those earphones out because I'm not sure how my audio sounds tonight. I know that with these earphones I've been wearing, the uh, microphone tends to get real scratchy when I get excited and speak loudly and so on and so forth. So, but anyhow, if you've been following along with the bouncing ball here in the state of Florida, we've been dealing with a, uh, I mean, a horrific situation with our water issues on the west coast of Florida, on the east coast of Florida, down in the Keys and down around, uh, um, down around uh, Flamingo as well. Um, not so much deep into the Keys, but I know around Key Largo things have definitely changed quite a bit over the years. We've got, um, we have some really inept individuals that are running the state at the moment some folks within government that honestly they need to be voted out. So I think what we need to, to focus on as anglers and stewards of our waterways is who's going to be the best representation or best representative, I should say, for us and for our voice when it comes to trying to protect our natural resources. Of course, this is a slippery slope. We shouldn't all expect a whole lot. Most of these people, um, most of these politicians get in office and get their pockets lined with cash from uh, different groups that are, you know, they want their way. And it's been this way in government for years and years and years. It's not really going to change. But hopefully somebody will come along that will have a little bit of a, um, integrity that won't uh, succumb to those types of uh, opportunities or pressures, I guess you could use that word, would probably fit pretty well with the situation. Um Everything that goes on in the state of Florida when it when it comes to water is important. I think that anything as far as water uh, being released, whether it's runoff water, wastewater, whatever it is, uh, being treated and released back into the environment needs to be done uh, with extra special care. Because, uh, you know, all of our ditches, for the most part, throughout the state of Florida lead into a larger body of water, whether it's on our coast and it's the Indian River, the Banana River, or the Mosquito Lagoon, um, there's always going to be that opportunity for uh, for the um, the runoff to make its way into your, your estuaries or your lakes and things like that. So we got to really be careful as to uh, who we elect what their plan is or what their vision is for the state because obviously uh, the yahoos that are up there now uh, have other things that they're interested in besides uh, managing the state in in such a way that it preserves what we are known for I mean, we live in florida right i mean it's when people look at florida as the vacation destination within the country and not just that, but also some folks view Florida as paradise. And if you're sitting in Colorado and it's snowing on you and, you know, you're thinking about a place to to get away from the snow, Florida is probably one of those places that's going to pop up in your head. I mean, anywhere across the country. So, you know, I think one of the things I brought up in one of the discussions on social media the um, the fact that what we should probably try and do as an angler group is uh, find ourselves 
a number of billboards that we can crowd crowdfund and uh, and utilize videos and images that have been taken by local captains, local guides, and just everyday fishermen or fisherwomen or just beachgoers uh, of the devastation that's taken place in the last couple of years. Uh, mainly, even right now, I mean, as we speak right now over in Boca Grande, they're, they're experiencing uh, a, a kill-off of not just fish, but marine mammals as well. Sea turtles have succumbed to it, um, you know, manatees and a few other creatures. I know I saw a couple of bottlenose dolphins that were also killed off, and they believe possibly red tide had something to do with it. Um, but, you know, there's there's toxic slime water down south of us so bad that florida sportsman magazine is temporarily shutting down their headquarters because the water right behind the florida sportsman magazine building is that toxic to where the fumes from that from that canal behind their building is making the people who work there ill so we need to we need for the world to see this we need for those who are coming down, driving into the state of Florida, going across that famous sign in uh, up there by Jacksonville, coming into the state from Georgia. We need them. We need everybody driving down 95 to see that, see what we see. That's how we should welcome people to Florida. That is literally how we should welcome all of our tourists to Florida. We should welcome them the same way outside of an airport. You know get a bunch of billboards bought up outside of an airport, outside of a few airports, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Orlando. I mean, big hubs, Tampa. So where as soon as people step outside of the of the uh, airport, they see that. That's one of the first things they see leaving from the airport. It could happen. It could happen because people who own billboards own them for sole purpose, and that's to make money. So with enough money put together, maybe crowdfunded, uh, I don't think it would be a problem to find some billboards that would be readily available for use. But would that not send a message? Maybe perhaps at that point Rick Scott would pay attention and not just issue a state of emergency because now it's starting to leak out to the, to the major network news and uh, it's gaining traction on social media. You know, perhaps more will be done. Maybe... I don't know, sounds crazy, but maybe those who are at the height of uh, at the height of the list of the culprits who are responsible for the majority of the pollution that's being dumped throughout our waterways, maybe perhaps having them or holding them accountable, um, fines and levies and whatever we can do to try and make them spend money and resources to figure out where their wastewater can go, that they can re replenish it. I mean, not replenish it, but recycle it and reuse it for the same thing over and over. It's agriculture, like big sugar. You know, you know what I mean? It's sugarcane. Sugarcane can grow in a swamp, like literally in a swamp, and it does grow in a swamp. But the problem is, is that they fill those swamps with so many toxins. And where's that, all that water go? Well, that, that shouldn't be my concern, and it shouldn't be your concern. It should be the concern of the people who own those fields. They should, they should be terrified that they would get fined heavily, have levies put on them, um, you know, and so forth, because at the end of the day, they're, they're the ones 
they're the main culprit of most of the problem. And then, of course, you know, we would have to have leadership up there in Tallahassee that would know, listen, we need to put some money into infrastructure. We need to go ahead and, you know, go to the government and see if we can't get some grants and such to where we can start to get people off the septic. We can start to, you know, divert some of this water from the Okeechobee runoff to, you know, back down to the glades. We need to figure out how, what we can do to get the natural flow that used to exist here in this state back in order. You know, everybody thinks they know better. You know, Army Corps engineers and, and such, those, those who make those decisions and decide where water gets to go and all this kind of thing. Everybody thinks they know better. But at the end of the day, and I'll go ahead and say it because I just don't care anymore. At the end of the day, nobody knows as well as God. Right? Like, can, if, you, if you believe in, in, in a higher being, can we all agree that there isn't a guy who sits behind a computer in a cubicle who could design a ditch or a waterway to do something any better than the original way that it was put here on this earth. The water has always flowed south. The water has always flowed south from Okeechobee into the river of grass. The river of grass. Because the water flowed. It was a river of grass. The water, I mean, talk about the, the world's greatest filtration of all time. Why do you think Florida Bay was always so beautiful for all those years? And why do you think the Everglades for so long was so pristine? Because it just ate up all those nutrients, all the grass and all the trees, the cypress trees, the mangrove trees. Everything did their job in filtration. And we've changed it. We've changed it because we think we know better. There's supposed to be a fertilizer ban going on in Brevard County right now. And I promise you, at any given day driving deliveries for a metal roof factory, that I see several yard trucks driving around. And I'm sure they're not spraying anything other than fertilizer. I don't know why anybody thinks in, in their right mind if you, if you live anywhere near the coast or any big body of water, why you need to fertilize your yard and continue to do so in the summertime. We all know what happens in the summertime. The rains come. And when the rains come, guess what happens? It's amazing. The grass turns green and the grass grows like crazy. And then you go from having to mow it once maybe every two and a half, three weeks to once a week. It doesn't need help. The yard, the yard in which my, my rental home that I'm living in is sitting on is green. It's happy. I don't, I don't put a bit of uh, fertilizer on any of it. Not a bit. So, you know, I just think that there's a better way. I think that there's a better way, for sure, and that's the way that it needs to be. You know, we need to we need to figure out what that better way is, and we need to try and save Florida. Um, we need to try and save our waterways. Um, you know, we don't have it. We won't have anything left for the kids. My kids ain't gonna, are never going to see the Indian River Lagoon and Banana River Lagoon and the uh, Mosquito Lagoon ever looked the way that it looked when I was a kid. And even when I was a kid, it was already starting to collapse a little bit. It, I mean, it was healthy-ish, but, you know, that, well, what's ailing it now had started back then. 
in the early 90s when Brevard County was a little tiny, not not geographical county, wasn't small in that respect. It's it's the longest of, of all of them here in, in uh, here in Florida. Sorry. Um, but as far as population is concerned, it has absolutely exploded. It's gone from kind of a sleepy little county to probably one of the most sought after places to live in the state because of the Space Center, because of uh, SpaceX and all the kind of things that are going on out there, Lockheed Martin and all this stuff. Great opportunities for, for employment in Brevard County. But with and I know we've got listeners from all over the world that tune into us. I'm going to give you guys kind of a rundown here shortly of some of the places where we're heard because we've picked up a few more, and I just think it's awesome. Um, no matter where you live on the planet, it doesn't make a difference. We all are facing the same problems. We're all facing uh, the issues with plastics and with, and with pollutants and such getting into our waters and our oceans. You know, I watched a documentary. I'm a, I'm a big documentary buff. I love documentaries. And I was watching one on uh, Netflix the other night. I believe it was Netflix the other night. It was either Netflix or Hulu, but either way, um, about the oceans and such. And uh, they were showing just how far our, our reach is of our, finger, of, our, of our fingerprint or our footprint, I guess you would say footprint, uh, of, of humankind. And they showed one of the deepest dives ever done in a submersible with a human in it. And at the very bottom of the ocean, in the bottom of a trench, like crazy deep, was a lawn chair sitting perfectly on the bottom like someone had been sitting in it, telling a story. Bottles, there's cans, there's just junk all throughout the ocean. I mean... It's crazy. There's, if you haven't seen pictures or videos, there's literal islands floating across the ocean that are just literally just trash. Just giant swaths of ocean surface just covered in just junk. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't consider myself a, a tree-hugging hippie, um, but at the same time, I... Uh, you know, I know that we need to be protecting what's what what's here. I mean, this the planet itself gives us life. The ocean itself gives us, I think, two thirds of the oxygen that we need. Where do you think that oxygen comes from? It doesn't come from plastics. It comes from creatures that live within the ocean. It's just it's just insane to me. And then you see uh, the reports on the corals and the coral reefs that are bleaching all around the world because the, the ocean surface. Temperature is, is rising and rising and rising. That's science. That's not, that's not somebody just woke up one day and decided that global warming might be a thing. It's, it's, it's literal science. Like, they can tell that we're in a warming trend. Does it mean that the, that the earth is going to continue to warm? No, no one knows. We're definitely on a trend upwards. You can, you can look at old data from the same locations over and over and over again and, and come up with that same... Uh, the same answer in your own head. If you look at a graph, and the graph starts, let's just say, at 78 degrees back in 1960. I'm just making these numbers up. I don't know what it was then. I don't have those numbers in front of me. Would have been a good talking point. Wasn't prepared. Um, but yeah, if you look at those numbers versus what we're experiencing now with ocean temperatures, there's no doubt 
You can't you can't dispute it. It's real. And we all affect it in some way, some shape or form. All of us. We're all guilty in some shape or form. And all you can do if you want to try and just do your part, because honestly at the end of the day it's all you can really do is just do your part. Then then consider recycling, consider reusing, repurposing, those types of things. And then also too, maybe if you're uh if you you're one of those that needs to have the greenest lawn in your neighborhood, just water it more. Just give it what it what what grass needs to grow, which is just water. Like they don't it doesn't need all that extra stuff. Now some grasses here in Florida were never designed to be in Florida, hence why you have to give them fertilizers and things like that, because it's just it's not a natural occurring grass. So here's a hint. The grass that you want to plant isn't naturally occurring, then don't plant it. Plant what's naturally occurring. If it's not grass at all, and it's just other plants and things like that, trees and such, that you can plant on your own property that don't really require anything <laughs> except for what Mother Nature brings it because it's a native plant or a native grass or a native tree, no matter where you live in the world. Yeah, it's nice to have a cool coconut palm tree or it's cool to have a, a bird of paradise here or there or whatever, but, you know, those types of things. But if they don't naturally grow here or in this region, like like coconut palm tree, for instance, craziest thing in the world, I can go and buy five of them, plant them here on this property where I'm at in Port St. John, Florida, which is basically right next to I-95. I'm probably about five or six miles removed from the river by the way the crow flies, and I couldn't grow any one of those trees. They'd all die. There's not enough salt in, in the ground. There's not enough, you know, of what they need because they're not native to this, this region. Plus, too, if we should happen to get a freeze again at any point, which we, we very well may in the next couple of winters, who knows, they're dead. They're dead, just like iguanas. Iguanas don't belong here in Florida. Every time there's a, a, a deep freeze or even just a cold snap in South Florida, iguanas fall out of trees. They're, they don't belong here. They're not, they're not indigenous or native to this region. So you just need to, you know, think about that too when you go to plant plants and do whatever it is you're going to do um, on your property as far as that stuff's concerned. Here, that's my soapbox about talking about keeping, trying to keep the environment as clean as we possibly can. I mean, I got two boys here at the house working on this this awesome boat, uh, the Rightwater 12, getting that thing, getting ready to go, and all this, all this, you know, fun stuff going on right around me right now, which I should be like over the moon stoked about, which I am. But it would be so much sweeter if my kids could experience what I have experienced. And I know people will say, don't always look back. You look forward. You know, there's still fish out there. There's still things to see and do and whatever. But it's just different. Just different. When I was a kid, I could lay up on the bow of a boat and hang my head over the side and just and stare at the bottom and watch spider crabs and blue claws and sea robins and whatever else just kind of cruise about and do their thing and be happy little creatures in their little environment. And I, what, what are you going to see now? Like, in my area, like, what are you going to go out and, and watch? We used to take... Uh, in elementary school, we used to take field trips to the intercoastal, and we would take seining nets with us, and we'd walk along and seine for little shrimp and 
seahorses and pipefish and little puffer fish and all kinds of cool stuff. Beautiful, lush seagrass that was just like ridiculously thick. So thick, in fact, that you didn't really want to walk through it because you were worried about blue claws like hanging out in the grass and you wouldn't see them and they'd take your freaking toe off and they wouldn't really take your toe off, but it would hurt. It did hurt. It happened to me a bunch of times wading in the river. We were used to hop from little pothole to pothole to try and stay away from the crabs. And you had to check the pothole before you hopped to it and make sure there wasn't a stingray laying on the bottom. Thousands and thousands and thousands of horseshoe crabs everywhere, like literally everywhere, every flat covered in them. I've seen, I've probably seen four, maybe five in the last dozen trips to the river. And two of those four were mating pairs. It was a mating pair, I should say. So, you know, things are just changing. Things are always changing, which is why I think that the travel side of fishing, which is the next topic I'm rolling into, see how I did that, that was pretty good, is so important because my backyard, to me, is depressing. Like, I... I I know there's fish here. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fish it. Don't think I'm not going to fish it. I'm going to fish it. But it's just it's such a shell of what it once was that it's really driven this, this want and desire to go out and try and find a new body of water to go and try and master, try and fish, try and explore. But being a Floridian, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? Clear water? I like clear water. I fished clear water before. It's cool. Cedar Key. That sounds interesting. Cedar Key sounds interesting because you know why? Cedar Key is covered up in oysters. So the water quality up there is a bit better than it is in other areas because they got a, a really good quantity of natural filtration. Siesta Key would be cool to go to, to 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 check that out if the red tide's not there and it's not nasty. You know, like any any... Anywhere that you can think of, there's a, it, it's just like get in the car, leave the kayak at home, paddleboard, whatever you got, micro skiff. Leave that at home, jump in the car, drive a few hours in either direction. If you live in Florida or if you don't, drive a few hours in any direction within your state and find yourself a new body of water to go play in. I'm telling you, there, there, is, there are a few things to me that are as exciting is driving down to South Florida, down anywhere from Fort Lauderdale South, and going and looking for peacock bass. Like, I get so amped up about that, and it's just a ditch fish. It's another invasive. It doesn't belong here, but they're taken over, and there's no getting rid of them, and they're beautiful, and they're aggressive, and they fight like crazy, and they love to eat flies. So I love them. And who wouldn't like catching a peacock bass? Like, before they made their way into the ditches and ponds and such of South Florida, the only other way to go catch peacocks was either to travel to Panama or down to South America, like down deep into South America. I don't know if you have peacocks in Costa Rica. They may, but um, anywhere along the, you know, the, the uh, Central America border and then down, down into South America, obviously and throughout the Amazon, I just wish somebody would release a couple Dorado in some of these ditches. That would be awesome so that I don't have to go to Argentina to go catch one. 
but I don't know that they would survive. Argentina is kind of an interesting place. They've got quite the swing in, in uh, climate. But, you know, I just think that, and, it's, and you know what else? It's, it's becoming more and more available and more and more affordable for people to be able to say, you know what? Yeah, I do want to go travel, and I do want to go find a place to fish, and so on and so forth. There's Airbnbs, there's small hotels, mom-and-pop-run establishments that you don't have to go stay at a five-star. You can go stay at, you know, the Airbnb or, or again, the mom-and-pop-type little hotel. What do you need? Like, what do you, what do you need, the angler? What does the angler need? I get it. If you're going to go and you're going to take your family and your wife or your husband or whatever who doesn't fish, then you might want to try and find a place where they can enjoy themselves while you're fishing. That's kind of the point. Um, or you take them along with you, and maybe you're maybe you live in Tennessee, or maybe you live in Alabama, in north end of Alabama, and you want to go check something out. Maybe you go out to Pigeon Forge because there's stuff for the family to do right there in, in Gatlinburg, you know. And what's, what's going on, Bob Bell and Martin Toomey? Um, guys are in the chat room there. The uh, you know, I think, I, I honestly feel like, if anyone of you guys want to call in, by the way, feel free to do so. You're more than welcome to. The phone number, as always, or guests, if you're listening to the show, phone number, as always, is 714-816-4727, 714-816-4727. That, 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 to me, is like a, is a very important part of the whole situation, is... Um, finding a place that's comfortable for not just you, but for whoever you're with. And so, like, I just went to to the Bahamas, right? West End, stayed at OBB, Old Bahama Bay Resort, and the accommodations are ridiculous. Like, they're so nice. I mean, way nicer than I think anything I've ever stayed in. And, um, but they've got a nice pool, they've got uh, shuffleboard and they've got volleyball and they've got a little playground for the kids and they've got beach cruisers all around you can just jump on and ride off on you, you walk the docks in the marina you can go out to the jetty you can go swimming behind the place you can go beach combing in front of the place I mean there's just so much to do besides just fishing snorkeling and just it, just adventure just get on a boat with uh, with a guide and have them show you massive stingrays that will come up to you like puppy dogs asking for a treat like all those types of things and it's all very very affordable like let's just say in a two like for 240 to 260 bucks ish give or take depending upon the season you can rent one of these condos over there because they're condos they're 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 like a studio type condo big king-size bed big pull-out couch shower, big tub, nice, you know, nice, nice stuff. Um, refrigerator, freezer, microwave, stovetop, uh, dishwasher, like you can go make a trip to the Bahamas, stay at OBB. I'm using them as an example because I've done it and spend the same kind of money that you'd spend staying anywhere else in the U.S. in a decent hotel. 250 bucks a night is like a pretty standard rate anymore. So why would you want to spend that 250 bucks to go stay, I don't know, anywhere. let's just pick a place. It doesn't matter where. Um, Mississippi Gulf Coast, right? When you can fly super cheap 
straight to the island and spend the same money in room and board as you would on a on a normal trip to anywhere else. Like just it's crazy. It's crazy. You don't need you, you don't need to have a guide to go find some fish to catch in the Bahamas. There are guides of course available. I would highly recommend that you do support the local economy and hire a guide to take you if you if you want to do a skiff type situation, if you want to go over and fish from kayaks, that's an option at OBV. They have a whole lineup of Jackson sitting there. So now we've taken that out of the equation for what, what typically troubles a kayak angler and keeps them from wanting to go and travel and, and fish, having to lug a kayak around. Yeah, so all you have to do is, and you really don't even have to do this, pack a few rods and some lures and stuff and go. You can pack your lures and leave your rods at home. They've got rods there for you to use. I mean, a lot of places are starting to look into the ecotourism side of things outside of the U.S. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. People are starting to look at ecotourism in a different way. People don't, they will have decent fly rods, I promise you that. They, they will have nice fly rods sitting there for you to use with good line, uh, a nice selection of flies from a guy named Chuck. I mean, he's a great... He's a great dude. Not so great of a tire. He ties some decent flies, but there'll be some stuff sitting there. But that's my point, is that, like, I think a lot of these places, um, whether it's Los Buzos or whether it's OBB, and, again, referencing them specifically because I've, I've been there, they understand that the major side of the market isn't the guy who's going to go and spend 10 Gs to rent a house a night. It's the everyday angler who typically tends to be the kayak angler slash micro skiff angler slash small boat angler who doesn't sit on a million dollars and, and have the ability to fly private all everywhere they go or have their own plane for that matter. During a slow season they want to fill those rooms up. So what do they how do they how can they do that? Who who can who can make that happen? Los Buzos is a bit different. It's a true fishing lodge, and it is a phenomenal place to go. We'll talk about Los Buzos in just a minute. But the Bahamas, going back to that, the Bahamas, it's, it's, it's almost too easy to get there. There's the high-speed ferry you can literally load your kayak up on with all your gear, take it over. If you have transportation from the port to the resort, which OBB offers, then you got that covered. I'm telling you, it's uh, Martin. I'm reading your comment there in, in the chat room. He says that he'll have his passport situation handled soon. The Bahamas is at the top of the list. Los Buzos is a close second. You know, it's just it. It, it again, it was a 25-minute flight. We were we literally got to altitude and then started to descend. Like it, it that's how it felt flying to the Bahamas. And Bahama Air, not the most reliable as far as being straight on time airlines, but they fly right into Freeport. And then it's a short ride from the Freeport Airport uh, out to OBB. And once you're, once you're in Old Bahama Bay, like once you get to the resort, you literally don't even have to leave if you don't want to. I mean, they have the amenities there that you would need. They've got food. You know, they've got a restaurant. And they've got uh, uh, food out of the tiki bar and all that kind of stuff by the pool. Um, 
If you wanted to go in and have conch salad and that kind of stuff into the village, you're more than welcome to do it. I rode a beach cruiser through the village and had a great time. It was just really cool to, to honestly just see what it what the Bahamas really looks like. I'm kind of big on that. I just like going down to Los Buzos. When you listen, when you get off the plane in Panama, you have to go to Los Buzos, the actual Los Buzos resort. You have a six hour drive ahead of you to go straight to the resort. Now they have a secondary location that's located on a lake that has peacocks, tarpon, snook and a, a, a myriad of other species that live within it. So that could be a holdover, right? Instead of a full day travel out to Los Buzos, you can come in, head to the resort, the, the new resort, stay, fish, then head out to Los Buzos. And the, and, and the price of the trip, again, next year, I know the price is going up a little bit, it's going to like eighteen five, I think, is what it's going to be, or eight eighteen hundred bucks. That's five days of fishing and your travel, as far as from the airport to not your air your airfare is separate. But still, eighteen hundred bucks or so for five days fishing, guided fishing, in in my opinion, the craziest place that I've ever seen an actual guided kayak fishing charter set up in the sense that the fish there are massive and there's plenty of them. If I have one regret for my trip to Los Buzos is that I kept that fly rod in my hand too long. And I should have, I should have spent the majority of a day trying to get the rooster fish because I really wanted that fish bad. Um, Stoked they got that that mahi, but uh, and caught some yellowfin tunas and other stuff. But um, you know that that rooster fish I had my opportunities. I had a couple couple of fish bite. Now listen, you go to a place to where you're dropping a 20 inch long bonita down for bait, and you know for a fact there's something lurking below you that's going to eat that thing like a skittle. That's pretty. That's pretty. I mean. You, if you go down there and you don't have an adrenaline rush 24 hours a day while you're there, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're not living. It's, it's absolutely incredible. But going back to being able to, you know, see what the real, Bahama, what the real Bahamas is like in, in Los Buzos, you want to you experience Panama. You don't want to ex- maybe not just experience uh, um, the resort side of Panama, right? Trust me when I tell you, the food that Morris and his family cook for you, five-star stuff. Like, literally, it's not, it's not your run-of-the-mill, like, hamburger, nothing. It's fresh fish from the ocean. It's amazingly prepared food. Um, all the beer you can drink. Um, it's just a great time. It's a great time. And it's, and it's somewhat reason. It's not somewhat. It's reasonable to make that trip when you consider what it costs to go and, and fish and stay in other places, you know, I, I'm excited uh, for the possibility of maybe heading back down there at some point to fish the lake. Cause that, that for me as a fly angler is right up my alley. I mean, you put me on a body of water that doesn't have eight, nine foot rollers in it. And I'm not fishing in 70 foot of water all the time. I am a happy camper with a fly rod in my hand. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. It's just, it's one of those things, man. It's, oh, it's crazy. Yeah, the lake is going to be epic, dude. They've got, they've got. Come on, Panamanian snook, which are monstrous fish. They they can eat our snook. Peacocks, tarpon, and a myriad of other cichlid species and things, jaguar cichlids and all kinds of stuff. Just craziness. Anyway, I'm going to take a quick short break. We'll be right back and do a little Shark Week for you, Shark Week theme. By the way, I'm back. <laughs> but which, by the way, the Jaws theme song will play in your head for the majority of your trip to Los Buzos while you're out in the Pacific Ocean pedaling around in a Hobie. I promise you. <laughs> like the whole time I was there, any time that I was in the water, in, in the kayak, that's what I heard in my head. We welcome our good friend, Mr. James Page, to the show from Hotlanta. How are you doing, sir? Northside represent. I'm doing great. How are you doing? A little slow on that button. Uh, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm uh, sitting here playing with the vice and whipping up some stuff for us to take to Louisiana. But we're just chit-chatting. You whipping just, up. I'm just – go ahead. Yeah, so you whipping up some stuff that I can steal? Yeah, basically. But you I'm know what Lefty says? I'm, I'm going to – go ahead. We use any given fly. Any given fly. Any given fly. See what I did there? Yeah, Playing words? Yeah, I did. Yeah, given. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna have like a uh, like a like a decoy box, and all the flies that'll be in that particular box will have really cheap hooks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You'll figure it out after the first like 20 pound redfish breaks it in half. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I thought it was funny. Whatever. Sneaky like that, huh? I'm just kidding. I don't even own any cheap hooks. I don't even know where to go to get cheap hooks. None of the stores I visit ever have them. They're always expensive. Um, Nothing's cheap in How much chartreuse and purple are you tying for Louisiana? Martin asked in the chat room. Uh, a lot. Um, no, not a lot. I'm, I'm going to tie a few. I'm, listen, we're mainly going to be fishing for redfish, I would imagine. And you know, if a big ugly black drum decides to show itself, we'll throw something at it too. Maybe some jacks, that kind of thing. But I don't plan on losing a whole lot of 
a whole lot of flies. So it's redfish. I don't care if he's 25 pounds or if he's 8 pounds. Um, unless he gets us around oyster bars and that kind of stuff, I don't foresee us having to worry about breaking off a bunch of flies. But I'm, And that was my problem, honestly, with actually my last two trips, really, um, to Los Buzos and to the Bahamas. I just brought too many damn flies with me. Too many choices. Like, I, I literally right. sat down one night in my room in the Bahamas, and I opened up five fly boxes, and I was like, okay, so what am I going to fish tomorrow? <laughs> like, really? I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to pick one of, of, like, 40 different patterns that I tied for that trip? Like, I have no idea what to throw. I learned a very valuable lesson. Here's the lesson that I learned about travel fishing. What did you learn, Chuck? If you, if, if you, thank you. I'll tell you what I learned. If you pack a bunch of stuff, like piles of stuff, like I, I brought all the rods that I, basically all the rods that I have. <laughs> I brought everything from, from uh, did I bring a five weight? I think I brought a five weight. You gave me, yeah, I got a five weight. I brought a five weight, five, six, eight, 10, 12, and 15. The only one that I ever carried around with me was the eight weight. And the day that I got on, one of the days where I got to the beach and I had the beach to myself, I saw four, no, three, sorry. I saw three cruising permit that were all well into the 20-pound class range, big permits. Just cruising along, happy-go-lucky, just doing their thing. And I had a bonefish fly tied on, which was not microscopic, but it was a small fly. And threw it at, that, at those permits probably 100 times. And they never even paid any attention to it whatsoever. So, you know, it's kind of disheartening. So what I learned was, you need to carry with yourself a backpack or some sort of a pack to where you can fashion some sort of a strapping situation to it. Or I know that I know it exists. You know, I know that fish pond and sage and probably every other big manufacturer probably makes these things, but you need to have that with you so that you can take a 10 weight with you. If you're, if you're carrying an eight in your hand, you should have a 10 weight strapped to you. If you're, if you've got a 10 weight, in your hand, you should have an eight or nine weight strap to you, just in case, just in case you're walking along or you're on the boat or you're in a kayak, and just in case that, that, that fish shows up that's going to eat a big, meaty fly, you've got one tied up, right? Like if a big tarpon had shown up, I'd have been, I'd have been screwed. My main quarry on that trip was, was the bonefish. I saw plenty of them, plenty of them. Cooked one, got broke off cried a little bit, I'm not going to lie, and, and, uh, and, and was prepared for trigger fish too with the eight weight. I felt comfortable throwing the eight weight at anything that I saw that I wanted to try and catch with the exception of those permits. And it wasn't because the eight weight couldn't have handled the permit. It was that the fly tied on that eight weight was not meant for a permit. I'm not saying that a permit won't eat a bonefish fly. Of course they will. But if the permit's honed in on a crab, he's looking for crabs, he doesn't want to eat a little shrimp or he can't see the little fly bounce past his face or whatever, 
you know, I just would rather have a big meaty presentation to throw at something like that as opposed to hoping that uh, hoping that I run the fly across his lips and foul hook him. No. I don't know. You know, one thing I learned, and I've had to travel for work and fish a lot. Um, what is so you a lot learned? of times it's not. I learned that there are certain flies you need to take no matter where you go. And clousers are one of them. And if you go yeah. in the Bahamas, you need to take some tan and white and some char- chartreuse and white. If you go into the Keys, you need to take some chartreuse and white and some tan and white. And if you're going to Biscayne, you need to take yellow over, uh, chartreuse over yellow, especially when that water gets real tannic in the summer, like when we were down there. Mm-hmm. You need to mm-hmm. take some clouds. You need to take something that replicates a minnow, a full-body minnow like a plugisi or a deceiver. You need to take something that replicates a shrimp. I like um, seducers myself, but there's a bunch of shrimp patterns out there. You need something that replicates a crab. So the only other thing that the fish in salt water, you know, if it's not a minnow, a shrimp, a crab, they'll eat, you know, black drum are going to eat clams. And then there's uh, aquatic worms that they'll eat, uh, marine aquatic worms, which you can replicate with – Pretty easy to replicate with Borsky. Modify one of Borsky's flies, his redfish slider. You can modify it, and he makes it. He does tie the worm. I've got one aquatic worm pattern tied. Now, of course, tarpon are a little. Bonefish are different because you know you got gotchas, you got crazy charlies, blah blah blah. You know you got a gazillion other bonefish flies. Bonefish are kind of unique, but a chartreuse and white clouser will take a bonefish, and it will take a permit. And it will take a striped bass. And it will take a tarpon. You know what I mean? I oh, you yeah, want to have water. literally everything. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's interesting. You talk about having two fly rods. Most companies up until this past year, like their boat bags, only had, a, only had um, straps or one fly rod. And I thought, how stupid is this? No one goes anywhere with just one fly rod when you travel. Now, when you get there, you might just carry one. But you always take two in case you snap one. Or if you want to, you know, take an 8 and a 10 or a 7 and a 9 or a 9 and 11. Um, but Fish Pond has a backpack now that you can strap two rod tubes to. Finally, someone's woken right. up and go, hey, you know what? Keep People carry more than one fly rod when they go fishing. Huh. Go figure that. So there the are some generic flies. Nice that, yeah. Um, there are some generic flies that I take everywhere. And then, of course, you know, you guys, if you're going to salmon for Alaska, for to Alaska for salmon, you know, there's some specialty flies for that. There's some specialty flies for bones. But, you know, when we go to Louisiana, I'm only taking one fly box. That's it. Yeah. Now, it's Louisiana. I mean... If you can't catch fish in Louisiana, you need to, like, take up bad news. Easy. Every time that you've ever said that, every time that you've ever said that to me, especially to me, on any of my trips anywhere that I've taken, 
I have not caught the target species. <laughs> well, you know, that, it, it, that might be a personal it. issue. It's I don't our, know how to address that. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, maybe choking my ramen Dang. noodles. It's definitely, it's definitely a personal issue. I promise you it's a personal issue. It's got nothing to do with the gear. It's got nothing to do with the flies. It's got nothing to do with anything other than, like, all right, full disclosure. So picture this, if you will. There's a fish that is like your fish, the fish that you've dreamt of since being a child. It's not a bluegill, right? But like a fish that you far off place that you just, dream of catching and then you're next thing you know you're in that place and you're more prepared than you probably should be with all this all the stuff that you've brought with you and you get down to the water the first day you come over the top of a dune onto a flat and the first literally the first thing you notice is two bonefish working through a pothole right in front of you and they're both eight plus pound fish I was not prepared for the mental side of that game. I was not prepared to be able to just take a deep breath. It's no big deal. It's just a fish. You've caught thousands and thousands of them in your lifetime. No big deal. That 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 didn't work. It, that was not an option for me whatsoever. Like, as soon as I saw those fish, I got the shakes like you would get from seeing a big buck or something like that. Buck fever. I got bonefish fever. I know they're just shiny, fast-swimming catfish, but I've never, I've never laid eyes on, on them as, as clearly as I did there and have opportunities to make casts to them and, and get refused and watch them disappear and the whole entire thing. It's, uh, it's crazy. It literally, it, I mean, it, it was, it was, I've never experienced that for four, four and a half days straight. Every time I saw them, I, I would just lose myself. I just be bonkers. Just like none of it made any sense to me. So you're saying you went to the Bahamas and didn't catch a bonefish? Say what? I said what you're saying is you went to the Bahamas, the Mecca, and you didn't catch a bonefish. That's exactly what I'm saying. Uh-huh. It didn't help that it was. It didn't help that it was blowing 25 mile an hour most of the time when I had an opportunity to fish. And then the one day where I get down to the same <laughs> Logan. And then the one time when I get down to the beach and I've got the whole thing virtually to myself, except for um, Jim Sammons and, and part of the crew to film the show, I decided to go left when in my mind I knew I should have went right because going right on the beach I'd seen more bones. But the tide was still up a little bit and I figured I'd go play with some triggerfish over in the rocks and kind of stay out of their way while they were filming. And Jim proceeds to walk down the beach and in the trough, in the surf, laid a big stingray and on its back were several bonefish. So he flops a fly out in front of him and gets one to eat it. And it's, a, it's a stud. And I mean, I was not going to say he flops a fly. He threw a fly and he, and he caught it on the fly. So he, he, I got nothing to say about it. I've never done it. 
but uh, you know, that was kind of like that was pretty much the moment during the trip where I was like, you know what, I don't, I might not, it just might not be my trip for this. Maybe the next trip. And then the, then the next day came and the wind had changed directions. I got back down to the same spot. I went back into the same corner where I walked first the, the day before looking for triggerfish and had a beautiful, healthy specimen of a bonefish pop up right next to me, like maybe 20 feet from me, tailing his little butt off and made only what I can explain as the cast. Like, that was the best cast I made the entire trip. Didn't spook the fish, put the fly out in front of it where he could see it, watched him track it, watched him eat it, strip set, ran, broke me off on a coral head. Uh, You know, it's just one of those things. But it, it didn't, it didn't, it, honestly, it didn't make my trip unsuccessful. It didn't make me feel like, oh, I came all this way for nothing. Are you kidding me? I caught a trigger fish on fly. To me, that's awesome. <laughs> it's a hard fish to get on a fly rod. They got a little mouth, super bony. And uh, caught a number of other species which were first on the fly. I, mean, I probably caught 15 different species of fish that I'd never caught on fly before. Don't mind the background noise. This is the Levi residence, 24-7. Um, but, uh, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, he did. <laughs> um, for those of you that don't know, if you can hear Logan in the background talking. Um, yeah, he just told Jeff that he loves her, which is anytime he says it, it's just a thing that just breaks both of our hearts because it's one of those we we dreamt of hearing him say that he loves us. Like that was one of, at one point in his little life, it's been it was one of those things. Was like if he would just say that, then I'm happy. Like I don't care if he says anything else. I just wanted to hear that. So, sorry, I'm taking a moment here. Hey, love you, kids. Anyways, they're leaving for the night. Um, okay. I digress. Where was I? Um, you didn't feel like you were a total failure, even though you went to the Bahamas oh, to make yeah, a yeah, bonefish yeah. and catch a bonefish. Oh God, you're killing me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't feel like a total failure, even though I went to the Bahamas, the mecca of bone fishing, and didn't catch a bonefish on fly rod. Uh huh. So, thanks for rubbing that in. Uh, well, you know, <clears throat> what are friends for? Mm. Uh, it's not going to be bad unless you go to Louisiana and don't catch a redfish. <laughs> if I go to Louisiana and I personally don't catch a redfish, I'm I, I'm going to just disappear for a while. <clears throat> You know, technically, Chuck, even though your name is Redfish Chuck, I've seen you catch a lot of tarpon, but I haven't ever seen you catch a bonefish. A redfish or a bonefish? A, a redfish, I'm sorry. Yeah. I have seen well, you catch a lot of never, tarpon. Me and, you, me and you have never gone red fishing. True. You've always, you've always gone ditch fishing for tarpon. Don't worry. I hope to put on a clinic on the front of that boat, either boat. <laughs> Good. 
Because the longer you stay up there, the more I'm going to pilfer your fly. I'm, the more I'm going to pilfer your fly boxes. The longer you stay on the bow. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm honest yeah, about that. He says Martin says ha 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 no bones in the Bahamas. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it hurt. It hurt a little bit. I'm not gonna lie, it kind of stung a little bit. And hearing Jim celebrate down the beach and watching them all pose and all this kind of crap. I'm not gonna lie. I was I was a little bitter. <laughs> I was a little bitter. But <laughs> the show the show was it, the trip was more about setting up a relationship with OBB and making sure that the guys from Jackson Kayaks had a great time. And uh that that honestly to me was what what the trip was really really about. And and I knew after the first or second day, listen, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I now that I know that it's not that hard to get to the Bahamas and uh that there's fish readily available as easily as it was. Listen, there was a day where we decided to go look at a different body of water on the Bahamas, different body of water, a different area of water on the Bahamas. Uh, in Freeport, and we pulled up to a little small boat ramp that the locals use, and there was a bonefish swimming across the boat ramp, like literally three feet off the ba- off the off the shoreline, and nobody had a rod. Nobody had a rod. I was going to bring a fly rod, and we decided that we probably shouldn't do that. Uh, how much was your flight to the Bahamas? Uh, that one I can't tell you because I, I I didn't pay for it. The, the folks at the Bahamas. Um, but I know that you can get a flight. We looked into it. Uh, what was it? Uh, an average? Four hundred. Four hundred from Lauderdale. Four hundred from Lauderdale. Four hundred bucks round trip. From Lauderdale. But you know you got other options too, and that's the thing about it is that not only do you have uh, commercial flights, but you can also rent a, a private plane if you wanted to. Um, you and a group of, of friends, so let's just say you get six of you together, for what it would cost for you to all fly commercial, you can probably rent a small plane for the same amount, about the same amount of money. And, and I, I'm not saying that as like a guess. I've I heard people talking about it at the resort and people have looked into it and such. So it is a thing, but, and then you also have the opportunity to, uh, to take the high speed ferry. You could do a day cruise. There's a little cruise ship that goes over, you get a one way ticket and just come back whenever you're done with your vacation. Um, if you know people who have a bigger center console or a sport fishing boat, obviously you can run it across the Bahamas. Um, if you're super adventurous and you want to take your life in your own hands, you can try and cross the ocean in a kayak if you really wanted to. It's 30 some odd miles to, or 40 something miles, I think, to the closest place where you can land. Uh, I don't recommend that, obviously. You'll die when you hit the Gulf Stream if the wind's blowing out of the north, so don't do that. Um, but yeah, there's a number of different ways to get down there. Now, going back to Los Buzos, because I want to talk about them a little bit here. Um, Flying into Panama, uh, there's a number of different airports here in the States that will that will get you into Panama. And then once you're there, the nice thing about both locations, believe it or not, is that uh, they both take American money. So that's cool. You don't have to worry about exchange rates and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can walk into the, 
the corner store in Panama and without a dollar bill and buy, you know, Coke or Pepsi or whatever kind of drink you want to drink, whatever it is. You know what I mean? It's like you don't have to – it's not an extra step you have to worry about. Where were you flying into there for OBB? If I remember right, there's like five airports on different islands. I flew into uh, Freeport, uh, Freeport International Airport, uh, which loosely used the word airport. It's like the size of like a Dick's Sporting Goods, maybe a little bigger than that. more like a Bass Pro Shops, I guess. But uh, and they taxi to the airport like the fastest you've ever taxied in a plane ever. <laughs> it's, it's insane. Like, it's funny because you think, like, island time, everything gets slow, whatever, whatever. No, they, they haul butt. But um, they uh, – if you if you go private, they, there's actually an, an airstrip right behind the resort with uh, customs and immigration and all that stuff uh, in that little airport as well, which is nice and convenient because at that point, when you land, you're not even a two-minute ride in the van to the resort itself. So, um, but we're working on some really cool things uh, for the Bahamas. Um, working on some stuff that I think would interest the hardcore anglers of the group and uh, those who are not opposed to, let's just say, like lesser accommodations. I can't release too much because we don't really have a whole lot dialed in just at the moment, but we were definitely working on some things that could potentially even make the trip even less expensive um, over at OBB during the off season, which their off season is obviously right after kids go back to school. So um, September, October, November, December, January, February, really. And then into the summer months, they get real busy. So, you know, there's uh, yeah, there's going to be some, some options there, but I don't know. It's uh, my lovely internet decided to disconnect. Missed what place you flew into. Sorry. Uh, just Freeport International um, was the airport that I flew into, and uh, like I said, it was it was pretty easy getting from there to the resort. They showed up with a van and picked me up, picked us up. So. Um, and I, and I know that they do that for other guests as well. They, they'll they uh, send the van out and, and wait for you to get there and once they have your itinerary and all that stuff and then take you back to the to the place. Now, remember that uh, everybody in the Bahamas that works at the uh, OBB, um, you know, they, they, they work hard, and it's a great cast of people. I don't think I met one person that worked there that didn't say hello and wasn't very pleasant. Um, so, you know, tip accordingly when it comes to that don't forget too these places are are you know these people like seriously depend on us going and visiting even in los buzos go down to los buzos the food as i said is amazing but you might want to experience panamanian food cooked by pan by real real blooded panamanians and um there's no shortage of cantinas along the roadway that have everything from whole fried snapper to fried pork to um, uh, traditional rice and beans and all kinds of things and uh, fried plantains and all that kind of stuff. And the food is phenomenal, literally some of the best food I've ever put in my mouth. And it's cooked in a little shed or a shanty on the side of a road that literally goes into a rainforest. 
and like that's that's laying it out there. And the meal might cost you four to five dollars with the beer. Come on, you can't even go to McDonald's and get a double cheeseburger meal with a with a fry and a drink and everything else for five bucks. So it's it's freaking worth it. It's worth it for sure. Um, but yeah, we're gonna do. Uh, and the other part of the other part of that statement talking about being able to uh, go and 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 eat at the local places and stuff. At night, when the music starts playing, because it always plays in Santa Monica, they are always dancing and smiling and having the greatest time in the world. And I guess I would, too, if I lived in, in what I could only describe as true paradise, because there is zero sign of human interaction. Like, when I tell you that, there is zero sign of human interaction anywhere that I saw that was above and beyond what you might would expect to see along the shoreline of the Pacific Ocean. It's just, it's just, it's so crazy. It is such a crazy place. And like I said, uh, Morris and, and the whole crew, Adam and, and, and uh, the crew there do such a great job catering to you and, and making sure that your, your, your trip was all that it could be. And like I said, I'm I'm I want to go back to Los Buzos to get that rooster fish, but I really really want to fish that lake. Like I I don't see how anybody wouldn't want to go and fish a lake that's literally chock full. They said there's millions of peacocks in it, like they're everywhere. And big snook and big tarp and challenging situations with timber in the water and all kinds of stuff. And it's just like, what are you talking about? That that is amazing. Like that's. They need to market that as their fly fishing destination. Sorry, I'm on tangents, and I I rarely stop to breathe. So, in other news, the Whitewater 12 will be done, all intents and purposes, tomorrow. Like the real Whitewater 12, not not like the one that we put out the first time. Like this is the finished product that. Honestly, it's not going to be the entry-level type of uh, micro-skiff because we're building it as a demo, and we want to show off what we can do to it if you want us to do it to it. You know what I mean? If you're willing to to have your skiff look like our skiff. Um, but if you've been following along with the build, I, I, hope, uh, I hope you've enjoyed the photos and such and videos that I've been posting for the last it seems like a year and a half or so since we started cutting molds and whatnot. Um, I am I am over the moon excited about this, this little boat. And I cannot wait to share the final photos with you guys and video of the thing running and everything else. I just really I really am just incredibly excited. Uh, blessed to have been able to have a little leeway and say into what what takes place and what transpires with the build and, and the design and the that type of thing and being a part of uh glasser boatworks john is a, a a dear friend of mine we've been friends for a number of years actually longer than uh trey's been in in our lives so um nine ten years ten years and uh this is something that a variation of something that we had talked about years and years ago 
some sort of a craft that could compete with the kayak market in the sense of you can put it in the back of your pickup truck and take it to your local fishery, and if there's a spot where you can drop a kayak in, you should be able to drop this thing in as well. Um, so there you go. But I do appreciate all the kind words and stuff. I've been getting a lot of messages on Facebook and Instagram, people asking questions, wanting to know pricing and all this kind of thing. And, you know, we're, we're, we're dialing all that stuff in. Definitely uh, we'll have it dialed in completely here probably within the next week or so um, as far as, you know, option prices and this kind of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, bear with us in that respect. But if you'd like to see it and you live in Florida and you have a boat ramp somewhere near you, let me know. Shoot me a message. Um, we will eventually leave out of Florida, but we have to get this thing rolling before uh, I can – part ways with my normal day job if, if this thing takes off then then you know we'll see sky's the limit i guess but uh yeah there you go so i had to throw that in there sorry folks that alex wasn't able to join us i know he was out diving today um he may still be out there sitting on the ocean waiting for the morning to come to be able to do it again um but uh we'll talk lobsters next week i'm sure what else is new and exciting, sir? Anything? <clears throat> you forgot to hit the button when you said the right water 12 was almost done. You forgot to hit the kids going yay. That's a yay hey, guess for what? sure. The right, water 12, the right water 12 should be done tomorrow for all intents and purposes. Yay! And then shortly <laughs> thereafter... Sound like a Tibor. <laughs> Sound like a Penn Senator, like 114H or something like that. <laughs> and also, speed 10 is what it sounded like. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so what's um, new and exciting? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited, man. I, sir, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. What did you say? Uh, I am uh, picked up a new fly line to take to Louisiana. And um, I've tied a couple of flies. To I gotta tie a couple more flies. I got a good box. I'm gonna tie some half and halves. Um, I'm gonna steal your quans, so I don't feel the need to tie any quans. I'm just gonna steal yours. That'll be good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna tie some bucktail deceivers in case they're feeding on big mullet, and I'm gonna tie some half and halves. And I think I have all my tying done, to be honest with you. I got plenty of clousers. I got plenty of deceivers, regular deceivers. Got some gold spoons. Got some top water. Um, I checked the weather forecast. We might have, like, east winds under 10, which I'm not a big fan of east winds. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, under 10 would be nice. I've gone over there with the east winds at 30 and still caught fish. So, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of – from I've talked to a bunch of people, and um, the fish that the regions we're going to be fishing, and they say that um, that's the one thing about um, – that's one thing about it is that pretty much no matter what the weather is, you can kind of find a place to kind of get a little bit out of it, enough to where you can – 
you can still find fish. So I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Honestly, I'm super excited. I've never been to Louisiana. This is my first time fishing down there, and uh, I mean, the idea of being able to throw flies at, at literally stupid redfish, unlike our educated fish from here, um, really excites me. So it'll be fun. We're gonna have a good time. We have a good time. Yep. And I appreciate it. No problem. They're stupid, and the one thing I like about Louisiana, you might see one other boat all day, and that's about it. Think about that. Yeah. I've literally so gone there. Sure and I've back with... Go ahead. No, go, go right ahead. No, sir. I've literally gone over there and fished eight hours and seen one other boat out on the water, seen boats at the, you know, at the launch. But once got out on the water, only seen one other boat the whole day. That sounds amazing. It is. If, uh, anyone from you. Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, know, I can't tell you the last time. Go ahead. I was going to say, I can't, I can't remember the last time that I was out and uh, didn't see a bunch of boats. Like, that doesn't happen here at all, so... Cool stuff. Not in Florida. Yep. Yeah. Well, cool, folks. I appreciate you guys tuning in and hanging out. We're going to call it a night. Um, I got some ramens to finish eating. I got some flies to finish tying. And at the moment, I have the house to myself. So, yeah. Hope you guys have a awesome week. And, uh, good weekend. Hopefully you get out and get some fishing done. If you don't get a chance to get out and get some fishing done, maybe perhaps you can get out and do a little cleanup action in and around your local fisheries. Go to the beaches, pick up some plastics and whatever else you find on the beach because you know there's plenty of trash to be found around your beaches and local lakes and estuaries. Um, and turn into a game with your kids. I do that all the time when we go to the beach. I turn into like a search and rescue type of situation with the boys and they just have the best time running up and down and crawling up and down the beach looking for trash to pick up and it will it will instill in them the importance to not dispose of their trash in an inappropriate way and it'll make them think about the environment a little bit more which is n- never a bad thing in in today's society where their their little minds are so consumed with video games and YouTube videos and nonsense it's nice to get a true disconnect from everything and take them to places where they can't, you know, oh, well, I guess I'll just get on the phone or whatever because I'm bored. Make them get out there and, and enjoy the outdoors and make it fun for them. If you're going to take your little ones fishing, if I can give you a uh, – you too, Bob. I appreciate it, buddy. Um, if you, if I can give you a little bit word of advice when it comes to taking your kids fishing, if you haven't taken them fishing before and you're thinking about doing it for the first time, Find a species or find an area that's got lots of species or at least a lot of a species and get them on fish. And if you can't get them on fish, if you're just having one of them days where it's just not coming together, figure out something to make the day fun. Nothing is worse for a child than sitting in a boat, sitting in a kayak, sitting in a, sit in a uh, canoe or whatever and twiddle their thumbs and just think about how much more fun they'd be having sitting in front of an Xbox or something. Make them enjoy the outdoors because you can. You can you can show them things that would make their minds just melt. Like 
I don't know, bottlenose dolphin swimming right next to the canoe or the kayak or the sup or the microscope. So there you go. Words of wisdom, kind of. All right. Final words, anything? No, I'm good. The countdown is on. I appreciate you joining me. Yes, sir. I appreciate you joining me on the uh, on the phone lines again, as always, and I uh, look forward to talking to you probably later today or tomorrow or something. And, um, folks, again, if you ever have any comments, questions, or concerns about the show, feel free to hit me up, Redfish Chuck, on Facebook. I'm Redfish Chuck on Instagram. Um, or shoot me an email at redfishchuck at hotmail.com, and I'll do my best to answer those in timely fashion. Take care, take kid fishing. They are the future of our sport. Wear your PFDs when applicable, applicable, whatever. See ya.